where I would be tonight without Jesus in my life. I do not know. I don't even want to think or fathom where I might be tonight without Jesus. So who is your friend? That's a question. Who is your friend? Anybody got an answer? That's a good biblical answer that Pigeon just gave. Jesus, she says, is her friend. Well, what do you consider a friend? What do you consider a friend to be? Uh, do you have any? Does it, any of y'all have any friends out there? You, some, some, some of y'all got some friends out there. Or do you have anybody that you would consider a friend? Well, the, the dictionaries in the world tells us this right here. A friend is a person who you like and you enjoy being with. A person who helps or supports someone or something. Like, you know, a friend will support you in something that you're doing. A friend is your buddy. He's your pal. He's your amigo. He's your comrade. Uh, you know someone you can trust and, and like enough to hang out with on a regular basis. That That is what the world kind of considers a friend to be. A friend is not your enemy. Uh, and like I said, these are a few of the definitions that the world gives us. And here's, here's some I thought that might make you laugh. Friends can be called acquaintances. An acquaintance is a person whom you know well enough to borrow from, but not well enough to lend to. A true friend is one who dislikes the same people you dislike. Andy Rooney said this, old friends are worth keeping whether you like them or not. During World War II, there was a pianist, uh, and, and he was a wit, too, named Oscar uh, uh, Levantine, and he appeared before the draft board, and uh, this examiner, and, and this examiner asked him this question. He said, do you think you can kill? And, and Levantine answered, I don't know about strangers, but friends, yes. So, you know, the world has a strange way of really looking at, at, at who and what defines our friends. But the Word of God explains it to us, what is a true friend? And if I was going to give the title uh, tonight, that would be what a true friend is. And if you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 15. We're going to be starting in verse 9. I know that's where we left off last week, but we're going to pick up there at verse 9, read through verse 17, and we may bring a couple of the other verses in a little bit later. But right now, just 9 through 17, and verse 9 says this, John chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Keep my commandments. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you may, that my joy, <laughs> you may, I flipped over and seen may and read that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's a big statement right there. This is my command, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. There's no comma there. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, 
For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Very important words right there. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in, in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. That's some, some, some good words right there. And there, right off the bat, we can see, if you read this passage, you'll see there is a strong tie between the word love and the word friend. Love and friend. You, you will see there is a common bond. If you abide in my love and you keep my commandments, is what Jesus says, then I will abide in you. You will abide in my life just like I have, I have kept my Father's commands and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you may, that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love. There it is again. And I have loved you. No greater love has one that lays down life for a friend. Love and friendship are tied together. You know, the type of friend this is talking about is, is a beloved one. The Greek uses it uh, in this way, beloved one. Most of us have uh, many acquaintances, but we have few friends. And even some of our friends may prove to be unfriendly or unfaithful sometimes. All we have to do is look at, to the disciples. We can look at the disciples themselves and see uh, this this unfriendly, this unfaithfulness that, that, that was amongst even Jesus' chosen ones. All you got to do is look at Judas. Psalms 41.9 tells us that, yes, my own familiar friend, this is, a pro, this, is a, this is a prophecy that's spoken in Psalms. Yes, my own familiar friend in whom I trusted. Je- this is Jesus speaking. Which did eat my bread hath lifted up his heel against me. Some friends are unfriendly and unfaithful. You know, we look at Judas, and, we, and if you look at, at, at in Matthew there, when, when Jesus meets Judas in the garden, he says, what have you come for, my friend? But that kind of friend is just, it's just an acquaintance. It's not really a beloved one. It's not used the same way. But he asked Judas, what have you come for, my friend? He come to betray Jesus. He come to, to turn over Jesus into the to the hands of the, the priest's guard. Who needs enemies when they got friends like you, right? That's what we could say about Judas. That's what the old saying goes. Who needs enemies when I have friends like you? What about the faithful disciples? Even the faithful disciples, they let Jesus down. Peter, James, and John, they went, they went to the extremes with Jesus that one night when they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus asked him, he said, pray with me, stay up with me, keep watch with me. And they fell asleep. Now, at some point, some time, this happens three times, Jesus comes back to the disciples and says, why are you all sleeping? But some, for some reason, in my mind, I think that, that John 
must have not have been asleep the whole time because we've got a prayer that Jesus prays in the book of John. John chapter 17, it's a marvelous prayer where he prays for his disciples and he even prays for you and me in this prayer. And he prays for the ones that God's going to give him one of these days. But I think John must have overheard a little bit of what Jesus was praying and then maybe it was then that when Jesus went deeper into the garden that, that John didn't, wasn't able to hear what Jesus was saying. But even his devoted friends failed him sometimes. What about Peter when he denied the Lord three times after he was arrested? Thomas, he doubted the risen Savior. What kind of friend doubts a friend? Our friendship to each other and to the Lord is not perfect. It's not perfect. We get the examples right here from the disciples. It's not a perfect love. But his friendship to us, that's another thing. It is perfect. There is no friendship like the friendship that we have in Jesus. However, we must not interpret this, this, this word friend in a limited way because the Greek word really means beloved one or a friend at court. And it's talking about a friend at court like, like a king's court, not, uh, not a friend that's going to go with you to court or a friend you might be in court with because of some of the things you might have done. It really describes an inner circle around the king, around the emperor. And in John 3.29, it's old Johnny B., John the Baptist, that says it this way, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Think about that. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Well, Jesus is the bridegroom. And you are the bride if you are in Christ. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Now, we can see that this joy that John, Johnny B. had is the same thing that Jesus is talking about here in our passage tonight. He said that, that, that your joy, that, that my joy that's going to be inside of you, may be in you, that your joy may be full. Well, John the Baptist knew completely what it meant to be full of the Lord's joy. Tonight, are you full of the Lord's joy? Are you the best man? Are you the one who's standing next to the bridegroom? Are you a friend of the king? The friends of the king, they would, they would be close to him, and they would know his secrets they would know his secrets. And that's why Jesus really says right here, my friends, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you a servant. No, no, you're, you're not a servant no more. You're in the inner circle. You are, are now part of the king's friends. And the king's friends, they know some secrets about the king. They know some stuff about the king. And he says, you are my friends. You do what I command, what I command you. No, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master's doing. The slaves don't know what the master's doing, but the friends, they know what the master's doing. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, everything that Jesus knew, everything that he had to come and give and to tell his disciples and to tell the world. It was it's no longer a secret. God revealed this to his son. He revealed this plan to his son. And then he sent his son Jesus to this world. And when he sent Jesus to this world, he sent him with this secret plan, all this secret information, and Jesus spilled it all out. He told his disciples, and now we get to read it. We get to read the same thing. And if we believe in Jesus, then we become a friend of God. We become a friend of Jesus, and we know all the secrets. 
We know all, we may not know everything about heaven, but we know there is a place called heaven. And we may not know how much gold and how much uh, jewels and how great and how beautiful it's going to be, but we know that there's going to be some really great stuff in heaven one of these days. We cannot wait to see those things. Can we not wait to see the, the, the more secrets revealed that, that we don't really understand or, under, or really know from John what he wrote in Revelations? But we know heaven's going to be a great place. And we know that we've got the opportunity to go there because we've heard what the Father has said to the Son and the Son has said to us. And we've believed in those things. You know, we, we go on down through here and we see this relationship from the, the, the king's friends. Uh, that means there's no conflict of, of being a friend and a servant no more. There's no conflict no more. That phrase right there really just sums up the passage of Scripture that we read tonight. There is no longer reason for you to think that you're a servant, a slave. But you are still a servant because you're a friend. Because you're part of the king's court. And to be a friend and to be a servant of God is what we should all desire. Rob preached uh, Sunday night. If you missed it, you missed a good message because it was about the desiring to have that, to know Jesus more. And, and the more, me and Jack was just sitting there talking a while ago, the more you read, the more you, you, you start to understand, the more things are starting to fill in, the gaps are closing in. Man, the more you think, well, boy, what have I missed out on? What have I missed out on all my life because I didn't stay in the Word or I didn't dedicate myself to the Lord? It's not as easy as it sounds, though, to, to be a friend and to be a servant of God. It's not easy, but it's what we should desire. But Jesus said, my, my, my commands, they're not burdensome. They're not going to weigh you down. Did you know that in the Old Testament, only two men, only two men of all the Old Testament were known to be friends of God. Two men God called friends. Do you know who they were? Any guesses? No. No. You would think he walked with God, huh? He was a righteous man in the eyes of God. It was Abraham and Moses. The only two in all the test in all Old Testament scriptures that God says that they were my friend. Well, Moses is actually kind of implied. If you look at Exodus 33, flip on over there to Exodus 33, verse 11. Exodus 33, verse 11, it says this right here. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Face to face. Can you imagine, uh, in this time right here, so... Uh, Israelites have done messed up. They've done, they've done illicit worship inside of the camp. And sin is in the camp, and Moses says, I'm moving out. Moses' tent's outside the camp, and this is the only place that God will go to speak to Moses is outside of that defiled camp. And he goes outside, and he speaks to Moses out there. And he speaks this to Moses one day. In verse 17, if you just look over there, just a few verses down or a few pages over it says and the lord said to moses this very thing that you have spoken i will do for you have found favor in my sight and i know you by name you ever wonder why we sing that song 
you know my name. It's because God does know our names. God met with Moses. He met with him outside that camp, and, and, the, and he speaks with him face-to-face as a, as a friend speaks to a friend. And why did God do this? Because God cared for Moses. He cared about Moses, and he wanted, he wanted to have that relationship with Moses. And that's what really, that's what verse 17 shows us. And if you can read on down through, all the way through 23, it's, this is where, where God says, okay, I'm going to let you see my glory. I'm going, to let, I'm going to let you see my glory. And he hides him in the cleft of the rock, and he passes in front of that rock. And the Lord covered the cleft of that rock with his hand as he passed in front of it. No man, as we know from John, John 1, 12, no man has seen God. No man has seen God and lived. But God allowed Moses, his friend, to see his glory, to see what that glory looked like. And Abraham, Abraham's even a greater illustration for us. Flip over to Genesis chapter 12. This is where the story of Abraham starts. And I tell you what, it started with a foundation. And I'm going to read just a little bit of this here. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will make you a great nation. God's really saying to Abraham here, I'm going to make you a great foundation. And at the corner of that foundation is going to be none other than my son. He is going to be the cornerstone in this foundation that's going to start with you and we're going to go all the way through together. And you know, it's funny, you know, Abraham, Abraham, Abram. Abram means exalted father. Abram means exalted. God's going to change his name later on in the story, but Abraham means exalted father. Can you imagine Abraham, old Abraham, walking around with this name Abram, exalted father, and then like, Abe, how many kids you got? Abe says, I ain't got no kids. And they're like, but they call you exalted father. Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. And then God makes a covenant with Abram. And then he changes his name to Abraham. And Abraham means father of multitudes. Now, this has really got the whole tribe confused. Abraham is walking around now, and everybody knows what the word Abraham means back in those days. And he's saying, hey, Abraham, how many kids you got? Everybody in town's going ask him the question. Abraham, how many kids you got? Well, I ain't got no kids. Huh. And they call you the father of multitudes. Well, that's because God's got a plan. And God's going to make him a great nation. He is going to make him a foundation like no other. And it starts with Abraham. God calls Abraham the friend of God. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles 27 says, Did you not... Our God, drive out the inhabitants of the lands before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. 
And Isaiah 41, 8 says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. This is God talking right here. He's calling him right out. My friend. Abraham is my friend. James 2, 23. If you want some New Testament scriptures, the scripture was fulfilled saying, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. But more than that, Abraham was the servant of God. And in Genesis 26, 24, it tells us, and the Lord appeared to him that same night. And this is talking about Isaac, the son of Abraham. He said, I am God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And will bless you and multiply your offspring of my servant for my servant Abraham's sake. So Abraham was not only a friend of God, but he was a servant of God. And this is so important for us to see tonight that if we are a friend of God, we are also his servant. He he has us in place for us to be used in his servitude. In Genesis 18... It continues on with the story of Abraham and how the two angels of the Lord, they come to visit Abraham and, and, and Jesus, I believe it's Jesus, and I believe that most commentators believe that it is Jesus that is with the two men, and, and they were on their way to investigate the sin of Sodom. And even though Abraham was nearly 100 years old, he, he, uh, he it was, it interrupted his noonday rest. He was sitting underneath the tent in the shade, and he seen them coming, and he ran out, and he bowed in front of them. The reason I believe he bowed is because it was Jesus. The other two angels that were there didn't really mean a lot, but the angels told John one day in Revelations, hey, don't bow to us. We're not worthy of your worship. You only worship God. So we know that, that, that if Jesus was there in front of them, Abraham bowed. So we have, we have this come and, and visit, and he, saw, and he saw to their comfort, it says in the scriptures. And he fed them, and he, and he fed them a good meal. I mean, he had a, he had a guy go out and get a, a young calf, and they slaughtered that calf, and his wife made some bread, and they had bread, and they had butter, and they had the cream, and they had the, the, the young calf, and they had a great meal right there. And that's the first 15 verses of that chapter. And Abraham is, is on the move. Twice it refers to him as a servant in, in Genesis 18.3. And then in Genesis 18.5 it says he's a servant. And then it says there's a note there that we need to, to realize. It said he, ha- he hastened and that he ran. That means he went and he done his work quickly. He, he knew that he had to get it done. God was there and, and he was going to serve God. And he went and done it quickly as he could. And he ran while he done it. That encourages, really encourages us to go out and to perform our work quickly. It's a good, perfect example of what a servant. Like a true servant, he stood nearby, ready to do the bidding, it says in, that, in, in those verses. And in the last half of that, that chapter, the, the, the atmosphere changes a little bit. And Abraham is, is quietly standing and, and communing with the Lord. He is still a servant, but but now he's being a friend. He said, "Shall God says this, shall I hide from Abraham that which I am doing? The Lord asked. As a friend of God, Abraham shared God's secrets. God told him what he was getting ready to do. He said, I'm getting ready to go in. We're going to investigate the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we all know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, don't we? was destroyed by fire because of their sins. But what does a friend do? What does a friend of God do? Some, do y'all have any friends that are just aggravating? 
just aggravating friends. I mean, just will just aggravate you and pester you. If, if you if you read if you read this out, and I encourage you to read all of it, but he gets in this conversation with with the Lord over this this whole uh, Sodom deal, and he says he says, Lord, if there are fifty, if there are fifty righteous men in in Sodom, will you save it? And and, and he sa- and the Lord says, I'll save it. If there's fifty righteous men, I'll save it. And then. Abraham, he's, he's pretty smart. And he goes, now, Lord, if, if there's 45, if there's 45 righteous men in there, what, would, you, would you save it? And he says, of course, if there's 45 righteous men in there, I'll save it. And, and the story continues. And it's just like one of them irritating little friends. And he sits there and he goes from 45 to 40. And, and, then he, and then he knows he's got to be aggravating the Lord. He says, and he said, the Lord, don't get upset and don't get, don't get mad at me. He says, but suppose there was, there was 30. And then he, and he says, oh, Lord, don't be angry with me, but suppose there was 25. Suppose there was 20. And he gets all the way down to 10. Suppose there was 10. Would you still save it? And he said, I would still save it. Because that's what a friend does. He says... And he does what he says he'll do, right? And Abraham, he was a real friend of God. Only two men, only two men. It just blows my mind. It amazes me that only two men and all of all the men, all the great men in the Old Testament, only two could be called the friend. But what amazes me even more than that is this. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That if we would just believe in him and we're obedient to him, he has extended the privilege. He has extended the privilege for us to be called friends of God. Isn't that amazing? Of all the men, all the great men that we see in the Old Testament, only two were righteous enough, were great enough to be called friends of God. Yet God so loved the world, he so loved you and me, that he's willing to send his own son to die on the cross for your sins so that you too could be extended the privilege to be called a friend of God. That should blow your mind. As a Christian you should be shouting hallelujah because that's good stuff there. If, if it's good enough for Abraham, it is good enough for me. Amen? Right? This is the kind of relationship that Jesus describes with his disciples. This is the kind of relationship that he's describing right there in John to his disciples. He's telling them this. He's telling them this. He's calling them friend. It was certainly a love relationship. Not only were they friends, but they were, it was a love relationship both for him and for each other. And the friends of the king, they could not compete with each other for the attention or promotion. Those disciples were always arguing, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Ain't none of you the greatest. Even mom stepped in. Even, even James and John's mom stepped in and said, Hey, which one of my sons is going to get to sit on your right hand? And he said, You don't even know what you're asking. And that's true. 
to sit right there at that place of honor. You know, but what was just as amazing is we're part of that inner circle because we believe in Jesus. We believe in what his word tells us. We get to become part of the king's inner circle. And, and we're, we're a part of that inner circle not to promote ourselves. And the disciples weren't in it to promote themselves. They were in it to serve their king. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're in it to serve our king. That's why we're part of it. And what a rebuke that must have been to those disciples who were always complaining Always trying to figure out which one was the greatest. And you know, it starts there in verse 9 with, with love. And, I, and I've read it twice, and I'm going to read it again. Abide in my love is what it says. If you'll abide in my love, if you'll keep my commandments. And how do you do that? By keeping the commandments. That's how you abide in the love. That's what it says right there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, I abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. When we become a child of God, Jesus gives us that joy. It gives us that peace, the joy and the peace that passes all understanding, that you may have that same joy in you, and it may be full. Not just a little bit of joy, but mm, it's all the way to the top. Amen? This is my commandment that he says that you love one another. Now, this is the hardest thing for any of us to do, to love everyone. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible for us. How is it even possible for Jesus' command us to love one another? Can true love be a command? Can it? Yes, it can. You must keep in mind that Christian love is not basically a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an act of will. The will of God is in you, and you do God's will. And when you act upon that will, that's proving that you love your Lord and Savior, Jesus. And when you do those things, it's not a feeling. It's an action. You're putting your love to action, even to the extent of laying down your lives as Christ has laid down his life for you. He says, you will do this for one another. That's John 1, 3, 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. You know, me and Les got to talking uh, just a little bit ago, and I said, these verses, I said, how, how, much, how much of these verses really impact the military? You know, that no greater love uh, than someone has that they lay down their life for a friend. I see it on military stuff all the time. Uh, and this verse here, that, that we ought to lay our own lives down for our brothers. But what this is speaking of is not just that you lay your life down for your brother, you do it in a loving way. Because... Jesus tells us that we're supposed to love our enemies. I've already said that once tonight. So how is it possible to even be in the military and love your enemy? It's almost impossible. It's that Desmond Doss deal. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge, I've, I've talked about his testimony before, how he was a, a conscientious objector, and he went into the military. He wanted to serve his country. He wanted to, to love his brothers and, and help his brothers out as a medic. And he went into the battlefield, and he wouldn't carry a gun. And he went and he drug all those men off of that hill, saved all of their lives. 
If you read verse 18 in John chapter 15, you'll see that Jesus says, if the world hates you, know they hated me first. You know, Desmond Doss and his story, they did not like him because he was a conscientious objector. They didn't like him because he didn't want to carry a gun, and they thought that, well, if he's not going to protect me with a gun, he can't protect me at all. But he's the one that ended up saving so many of them's lives. And then some of the ones that hated him the most were some of the ones he got to save. And that's what Jesus tells us. He says, love your enemy. Love your enemy so that they might be saved. Love your enemy so that they can come to know who Jesus is. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And, and if you do all these things that our scripture says, you'll love one another. Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life for both his friends and his enemies. Romans 5.10 great passage of scripture tells us for if while we were enemies we were reconciled for while we were enemies with God we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more it says now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life we were enemies of God. We were sinners. While I was yet a sinner, the Bible says Christ died for me. While I was yet an enemy of God, Christ died for me. While the emotions are certainly involved, real uh, Christians' love is an act of the will. It means treating others the way that God treats us and I tell you what that's probably the hardest thing to do is to love your enemy love your enemy that mission trip that we're going on to the Maldives those guys are our enemy they see Christians as enemies and yet we're supposed to love on them so we can tell them that there's a God who truly loves them and wants to save them that's what love really is. I'm glad that God, when he saw me as an enemy, that he didn't want to kill me, destroy me, but he loved me. And he sent his son to die for me. While I was in my wretchedness, while I was in my sin, he still loved me. I hear that one guy say it all the time. God's not mad at you. He loves you, and he wants to save you. He wants you to have a relationship with him. Our friendship with Christ involves love, and it involves obedience. He is our master, and he is our Lord, but he's not treat us like a servant. He does not treat us like a slave, but as a friend. So to make this applicable tonight, I just need to ask you one question. Are you his friend? Are you his friend? He's already your friend and wants to be so much more. He says, no longer 
do I call you a servant? He says, but I call you a friend. So if you're willing to give your life to him, you can be friends with a true mighty God. Remember, many people will say, Lord, Lord, we've done signs and wonders in your name. And yet the Lord's going to say, I knew you not. I knew you not. Friendship with a great and mighty God comes from obedience. I mean, it's why it's on our... That's why it's right here. That's why it's on the pulpit. It's the most important word in probably all the Bible is to obey. Because if you obey, that means you love. And if you love, that means you'll do and you'll go and you'll bear the fruit that God wants you to bear. Tonight, the question is, are you a friend of God? Have you received that salvation, that free gift of salvation from Him? Have you asked the Lord to come into your life? Have you realized that you're a sinner? Because that's really where it starts at. Realizing that, that we are all sinners and we fall short of God's glory and, and that, that, that the wages of sin because of that sin is death. And that if we die in that sin that we're going to be lost and that we're an enemy of God. But the gift of God that salvation is a free gift. He says you can have it. You can have it tonight. All you got to do is confess me as Lord. Confess me as Savior. He said, if you'll just speak those words, you know, that's really all you got to pray. Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Lord, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. And I want to be obedient to you. That's really all you have to pray tonight. To receive the greatest gift that you could ever receive. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Tonight as Pigeon comes to play our song of invitation, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, tonight would be a good night because today is the day of salvation. And we sit and we think about Lindsay just standing up one moment and the next moment she's dead. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't have any idea. And that's why day after day, Rob and myself both, we plead from the pulpit. You do not know when your next breath will be your last breath. And if you don't have your salvation right, you will go to hell. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that, and there's no easy way to put it, and we're not, gonna, we're not gonna garnish it up. We're gonna tell you exactly. If you get caught dead without Jesus, it is hell. Rob says that at the end of every one of his video because it's so true. And not knowing when your last breath's gonna be. We're not trying to scare you out of hell. We're trying to tell you that there's a God that loves you cares about you, wants to be your friend, wants to be so much more than you can ever imagine. It's got so much planned for you. If that's you tonight, come. If you're a Christian here tonight and you're struggling with your friendship with the Lord and you've kind of fallen out of some of that obedience, maybe you just need to come and just give it to him tonight. Give it whatever 
sin, whatever struggle, whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever grief you have in your life, come and lay it down at the altars of the Lord tonight.